Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Patreon patrons, and welcome to this very delayed episode of STS Backroads. Uh, and if you haven't if you haven't noticed yet, the main episode did not come out this week. It will be coming out next week on the twenty fourth ish, sometime on the weekend. Uh, it just everything went weird this whole week. Technical difficulties last week in trying to get this episode out. Uh, so I just kind of told everyone, "Hey, I'll push it back. I'll get it when I can get it." And then just scheduling hell. You know, plans were made. Plans fell through. New plans were made. They fell through. Plans came back. And I just decided, you know what? It's just going to be easier if I just just take just take the time and go, let's push it all back and we'll I'll make up for it. So tonight, if you have not listened to the uh, Minnesota Iceman episode, the last uh, 7.03, the last episode of the main show, then you might want to. I think it will give you a background that you're going to need to really understand this episode because this is really a... They, they're all supplemental to the original, to the main episode, but this one is very supplemental to the episode 
that I did last. And we're going to talk about Hanson's hunting trip. Hanson, of course, is the guy who owned, maybe, question mark, the Minnesota, Minnesota Iceman who killed, maybe, question mark, the Minnesota Iceman who maybe had a dummy made, question mark, of the Minnesota Iceman. A lot of questions. A lot of questions to remain. And this isn't going to really answer any of them. But I really wanted to get into his kind of final story of, like, this is what happened. And uh, we'll see how much water it holds. I've got some things to say about it. Uh, Bernard Huvelman, who, of course, we used his book last week for most of the stuff, has some things to say about it. So let's get into it. Let's get into this hunting trip and uh, find out the secret origin, maybe, of the Minnesota Iceman. In July of 1970, Hansen, Jack Hansen, I believe his name was from the last episode, released his own magazine article. If you remember, uh, everyone was releasing magazine articles for a little bit. Uh, Huvelman wrote a paper, and there's so much re release an article, but Sanderson did. And so here is Hansen's kind of rebuttal to all of that. 1970, July of 1970 is when he released it. Uh, and it was in Saga Magazine, and it was titled... I killed the ape man of whiteface. He alleged in this article what he said was the true story of the Minnesota Iceman. And it started in 1960. So not quite 10 years before this article came out. Uh, it would have been November of 1960 when this happened. And this was, would have been July of 70. And about nine years before this whole debacle began, Hansen was out on a hunting trip. Deer season had just started, and Hansen and some friends were out hunting at the Whiteface Reservoir, 60 miles north of Duluth. And if you remember in the last episode, he lived in Duluth. He lived in a Duluth suburb for a while before he moved out to Rolling Stone. So at this time, he's still very much in Duluth. The first day of the trip was uneventful, and no one saw any game whatsoever. The next morning, Hansen, using his 8mm Mauser, shot and wounded a large doe. For around an hour, he tracked the deer, but seemed to have lost it. Hansen decided to start heading back when he heard a strange noise, what he described as a gurgling noise. He walked towards the noise, assuming to find the deer, but he found much more. He stumbled upon three hairy creatures that he first thought were bears. Two of them were busy ripping apart Hansen's freshly killed deer, and these creatures were scooping the blood up into their hands and drinking it. The third stood on its haunches, about ten feet away, as if keeping watch, perhaps protecting the others. Hansen could tell that the one was male, and then, without any warning, the third one suddenly launched itself at Hansen. The hunter quickly reacted, firing his gun once, hitting the thing and sending it recoiling in fear. Hansen wasted no time. He ran off. He caught up with the rest of his party. He thought about telling them, but then decided against it. Instead, he made some story about getting lost. He figured the ribbing from this was far less worse than what he assumed the ribbing he would get from telling them that he ran into some sort of Bigfoot-like creatures uh, would be. A month later, 
Hansen decided to go back. If the thing had been shot and died, he wanted to find it before another hunter stumbled across it. He headed out after a fresh snowfall, hoping he could use it to his advantage to find his tracks if he got lost or turned around. He also brought with him his small swamp buggy, which he had constructed himself. Eventually, he found the creature, dead next to what remained of the deer. The corpse had been frozen solid and was covered in a light fall of snow. He noticed the deer had been torn apart and ravaged by predators and scavengers and all of that, but it seemed the hairy creature was untouched for whatever reason. Nothing was messing with that thing. It was frozen partially in muck and mud, which had basically fr it had frozen in it. This is kind of the block that we're getting at. Well, it becomes more blockish later, but it was kind of frozen in this mud. Not so much an open stream. I think I might have said that in the actual last episode. He wasn't in the stream as I thought. Maybe more of like a muddy creek bank that had frozen solid. So I said all that just to kind of give you a picture there. Hansen decided to take the creature. He chiseled it out of the mud and carted it back, strapping it to his swamp buggy, and then somehow hoisting it into the back of his truck. He then took it to his house in the suburbs of Duluth, where he and his wife stored it in a freezer and started pouring in 20 gallons or so of water each day until it was a frozen solid block of ice. Uh, he goes on to say that they started doing this because the thing was drying out, dehydrating, the skin was starting to peel, and it was starting to stink. And his wife was pretty much like, well, I did this to some trout a long time ago, and they kept pretty well. We'll just freeze it in a solid block of ice. And so that's where we get this big ice block that the thing was in. And that kind of explains away, like, why it looked so good, because, once again, it was a man-made ice block. It wasn't a natural ice block. They were worried, though, that the creature would start thawing out in the summer. Like, I don't think they had it, like, in a deep freezer or something. Maybe more of a cooler, and they just figured the cold... Minnesota months would be okay, but come summer, they, they were like, this stench is going to uh, alert the neighbors. Luckily, however, by summertime, the Hansons bought their property out in the country by Rolling Stone, and now had the room and the resources to better keep the creature frozen. So this story does have some holes, and Bernard Hubelman did some digging on some of Hansons claims. From this story. He had a medical expert, and I'm talking about humans, had a medical expert take a look at the claim that the creature was shot with an 8mm Mauser round. And he was told that such a small round most likely could not have caused the damage shown on the Iceman. If you remember, it was shot through the eye, the orbital socket was smashed, brain matter was leaking out the back of its head, it was a terrible wound. And uh, this medical expert was like, I don't think a little 8mm round, like we're not even talking about like a 9mm, we're talking about a millimeter smaller than most 9mm rounds, was going to do that to an Iceman, or to anybody really. Huvelmans then took a look at the average temperature for the area and found that most of the time the temp would have been above freezing. In order for this creature to have been frozen solid and frozen to the ground, it would have to have been well below freezing for pretty much the entire month 
that it was out there. Huvelmans had already worked out that the Iceman weighed 280 pounds. When they had their three days with it at the beginning, he had already worked out the weight. Which, for a one man alone, in the dead of winter, this would be a very arduous task to haul that much dead weight onto a buggy and then into the back of one's truck. And I, I think this is my big, I really agree with this. Like, imagine toting a 280-pound dead body in a Minnesota winter and, like, getting it up and then getting it to your truck. But then sometimes I kind of think, like, well, maybe he found out, maybe trekking back and finding it, maybe he found out that he was closer to a road than he thought. Maybe he found, like, a shorter way to get there and was able to pull it off. But I don't know if those details of where he parked and how far away he was are ever really revealed. Just something to kind of think about. Huvelmans also conducted an experiment of his own on a dead, hairless mouse, which he placed in a similar cooler and froze it. He was intrigued by Hansen's claim that after a month, the creature had started to smell, dehydrate, and peel while in that original container. So he found a hairless mouse, like I said, dead, put it in a similar situation, and froze it. And he found that it took six months before his frozen mouse showed similar uh, effects, if you will. It took him six months to start dehydrating and peeling and doing all of that. So he had some questions about it. And and uh, so do I. Both stories, both kind of explanations that we get, Huvelman's explanation and this one, are kind of far-fetched but in very different ways. This one really, on first glance, I think is a much more plausible story than Huvelman's explanation of he found it in China. He tried to bring it back. He knew he couldn't get it into the country because of the embargoes. So what did he do? While well, he got some drug runners who were smuggling heroin inside the bodies of dead Vietnam soldiers to uh, put it in a coffin, seal it shut, and smuggle it back in the country for him. That is an insane story. And uh, it, this to me sounds way more believable on the surface. And then you really do think about like, could it, the temperature just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe it was an uncommonly super cold winter in 1960. You know, maybe Huvelman should have looked at the actual temperatures for the year and not the average. Who knows? Maybe he wasn't as far away from the thing as he thought and he could get it back. But I don't know. That information just isn't there. And when you really start scratching at this, this one kind of falls apart too. And plus it reeks of like, I'm trying to make sure I don't get arrested in any way, shape, or form. If you remember, he got kind of spooked because there were embargoes on things from China in 1969. Uh, if he had brought this thing back from that country and the FBI or whomever found out about it, well, it could be a shitty day for Mr. Hansen. And uh, this kind of does away of all this. Now he's killed the creature on U.S. soil. So that's good. He's gone out of his way to kind of describe these creatures as being these this hairy, literally bloodthirsty, blood-drinking things, trying to make them as less human in description as he possibly can because there was also this kind of threat that was like, hey, 
if this thing turns out to be human, enough of it is human, you might be in deep shit for like some, you know, maybe some manslaughter or at least being in possession of a dead human body. So I think he hits that really hard to be like, look at these things. Look at these horrifying creatures. There's no way they ever could be human. And there's no way that I can go to jail for shooting one. And I think that's that's where I really have a lot with, uh, a lot of issues with the story is that it does seem like he's trying to cover all of his bases and uh, he's trying to stay out of trouble, but he still wants to be able to uh, take this thing on the road, make some money off of it. And I would love to find a copy of this issue of Saga Magazine. I would love, or a PDF or anything. I, will, I want to read the original, 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 everyone, the original article, so bad, and I want to read it, because it's not all in Hevelman's book, bits and pieces of it, but he couldn't reproduce the whole thing, obviously, but he, he did take a couple of choice sections from it and put in the book, and uh, really see what else is going on, like, he talks about how he gets into making the dummies, and how it was all him, and he just did it as like an insurance policy and all of that, but... It, it lays it all out, and you can tell, like, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. But it's still a fascinating story. And who knows? I think Huvelman makes some good points. He does some very scientific things, because that's what he would do. But I think if you just you dug a little bit more, and maybe this was just something that you couldn't do very easily in 1969. Like, now, I could get on Google and find out what the temperature in Duluth, Minnesota was in 1918. You know, like, I don't know how hard that would have been to find out back then find out what the temperature would have been on this day in 1960 and he maybe he didn't know the exact days either he just knew the month but i think with a little bit of uh positioning and a little bit more explanation this story is very plausible to me but i think but i don't know i just don't know like i said the story of the minnesota iceman has many twists and it has many turns but sadly i, I don't think that we'll probably ever know the true story and there you go, Hanson's side of the story, if you will, at least some of it. Uh, yeah, grab that book. I, I highly recommend uh, Huvelman's book from last episode. And really, you can get into all the other stuff with the dummy and all of that. Uh, so yeah, there you go. I just really wanted to get into that. I thought that was a very fascinating uh, story to come out of there. And I want to apologize. I noticed kind of playing back, there were a couple pops. I don't know why. I don't know if there's some, there maybe there's some uh, dust in my mic and I've got to check it out. So if you hear some pops, I'm sorry. I'll take a look at it and see if I can take care of it. But there, that is the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the Patreon. And uh, the next episode, 7.04, we're going to be looking at some contactee stories, some UFO contactees. I'm not sure which ones yet. Obviously, we're going to talk about some space pancakes, some alien space pancakes, because you have to. But I don't know what the other story is going to be. So I've got a Fate magazine with a, a nice article, the top 10 alien contactees, which only goes to five. And I don't know why, but something happens and the article just gets cut off and it never comes back. But there's still five in there to check out. So I'll probably find a nice good one in there for the second half of the main show. So that is next next uh, main show. I'm talking about some UFO contactees, and uh, we'll probably talk about a third one here for the backwards episode. So that is next weekend. And of course, 
STS Town Hall. Hopefully, will be happening on the 24th as well. If not, I'm trying to get everyone's schedules straightened. We're going to talk about Men in Black. And I've got a couple of guests. I'm trying to get one more in and then sync some schedules and hopefully do it that Sunday. If not, might wait until early November to do it. But I'll give you guys the heads up on that. So some cool stuff to look forward to next weekend. Fingers crossed. And I'll be back. I'll talk to everyone then. Until then, have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And thank you for supporting the Patreon.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.